Well, I do hope you are having a great day. And I thank you so much for taking time out of the above-mentioned day to join me, your lovable host, for another exciting, fun-filled edition of the Jim Snyder Podcast. I am your lovable host. The jingle never lies. That's right. Jingles don't lie, by the way. I'm Jim Snyder, and it's a chance for me to get together with you, talk about some of the things I've overcome in my life, someone who has low vision, someone who has overcome quite a bit of stuff to get to where I'm at in my life, to reach my goals, my dreams. And, of course, from time to time, we bring other people on to the podcast, and we talk about their story. And I can say now, over the last couple of seasons, we've been able to do that. And now that we're into Season 2, Episode 22, I can honestly say a couple of seasons and multiple guests and we're going to have another one today and i'm really excited about this one i haven't been this excited since i learned how to speak braille well if you are a listener a regular listener here in canada to ami accessible media inc you obviously listen to kelly and company and we're bringing on one half of kelly and company today kelly mcdonald is going to be joining me on the podcast today and uh, I do want to acknowledge his co-host, Ramya Muthan. And they get together on AMI every weekday afternoon from 2 until 4 Eastern time. There is also a repeat broadcast later on and accompanying podcast for the uh, for the broadcast. And Kelly has really done some really neat things, and I'm I'm quite excited to bring him on. Kelly and I have been friends for a while. And when he heard I was launching a podcast, he was quite excited. And then I said, hey, Kelly, you got to come on my podcast sometime. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. So I, we were able to make it happening. Uh, happening? Yeah, it is a happening thing. When Kelly and I get together and chat, it is a happening thing. And we're going to take the next two episodes of the podcast and chat. Kelly and I sat down recently. And when you get two radio guys, two, we'll just say it, blind radio guys together, the time gets away. And we chatted for quite a bit, talked about a lot of stuff, and I really enjoyed it. So we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to make it a long marathon podcast. Who is it that that has, that uh, that there's a couple of podcasters out there. I'm not going to mention them. But there are a couple of podcasters out there that will have marathon episodes. They go for like an hour and a half, two hours. And I'm not going to do that to you. For one, some of you actually download this thing onto your onto your device, whatever it is that you're using. And I'm not going to do that to you because it's it's just, you know, takes up space and some cases it takes forever to download. So I like to try to do it in reasonable reasonable bite-sized pieces, if you will. So that's what, that's what I try to do. And I try to keep these things to at least under an hour. Sometimes we go a little bit over, but that's okay. So today and next week, Kelly and I are going to have a little chat. I'll let you hear that chat. You can be a fly on the wall for, for our conversation. And I do want to thank Kelly's technical producer, Matt Agnew, who helped us get this all set up because we decided we wanted to do this right. We want to do this, you know, just make it sound first class all the way. We couldn't get the satellite uplink. We we looked looked into that, but we decided, now nah, let's just go with, with the high-quality broadcast connection. So with Matt's help, we were able to set that up because Kelly does his show, his portion of the show, Rumnia is in Toronto at the AMI campus, the main studios, and Kelly is at his palatial studios high atop the McDonald building in downtown London in London, Ontario. So we had to do a little bit of, uh, had to put some technical stuff together and make it all happen, and we did. So I want to just give a, a public congratulations, or thank you, I should say, to Matt for really going out of his way. This guy really, really 
you know, because we had a little challenge getting this all set up and it wasn't quite as easy as we thought it was going to be. But Matt was just a real, was a real trooper. And thanks, Matt. Appreciate you, buddy, for making this happen because we couldn't have done it without you. And I think you will enjoy the conversation. Also on the podcast today, we'll get to another really bad pun. That's that's coming up in a little bit later on, as always. And of course, I have to bring you up today and what's going on with me. Not a whole bunch. Been watching a lot of football. Been watching my Wolverines kick some tail. Let's hope that continues. And been watching a little bit of baseball. I am so sorry that the Blue Jays didn't make it into the playoffs. Uh, it's it's just unfortunate. Those of you in, in the U.S., yeah, you're like, oh, well, sucks to be you. Well, here up north, the great white north, everybody in the state seems to think that Canada is this snow-covered wasteland. We play hockey 12 months out of the year. We eat nothing but back bacon and drink beer. No, that's not true. There are five seasons here. Winter, spring, summer, fall, and construction season. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's just kind of how it is. But it was the, the the Jays just they really gave it their their best. If they could have just won that one game against the Yankees, that last game they played New York, that last Thursday of the regular season, they could have just beat the Yankees. That really really would have would have uh, made a difference. But you know that's just how it goes, and we all. And I, I hate to say it, it's such a cliche statement. Wait till next year. And I honestly think the Blue Jays really do have a solid lineup. They just need some pitching. And hopefully they'll get a couple of more. They need a just a couple more in the bullpen and another just solid, just knockdown drag out starter. If they can or even someone who is really just even in the advanced stages of what you would say developing. They can get another good pitcher, a couple more guys in the bullpen. These guys are really going to be set. And I, I'll be honest with you, I am a pretty casual baseball fan. I am not into it as much because I'm sure some of you are just out there going, no, no, stupid, that's not how it works. I don't know. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. If you disagree or you agree, you can let me know. The Jim Snyder Podcast at gmail.com. That is how you can get in touch with me. You want to talk baseball, you want to talk radio, you want to rip on my podcast, give me accolades on the podcast, suggestions for the podcast, whether it be a guest or an idea, even your puns. And I've had some of you send me your puns, and I've got a bad one today. I think you're going to like this one. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a in just a little while. So, yeah, that's that's what I've been up to. I've been watching watching college football, watching baseball, and maybe we might take a little bit of a trip. Sarah and I were talking about this recently. She announced to me that she was taking a long weekend, taking her birthday off. I'm not going to tell you when her birthday is, but she decided she wanted to take her birthday off. So that means a long weekend. And so I said to her, what do you want to go somewhere? And she says, I think so. But then the question is, where do we go? Because we've looked into doing some things. And the problem that we have is, where do you go? Because we can't go down to the States because the land border crossings are closed. And they still are and will be until at least later this month. We'll see if they extend it or not. It's too expensive to fly. And, you know, where can we go and just get away? We've talked about maybe hopping on the train. We've gone to Ottawa. We've done that. We've gone to Montreal. We've talked about going to Quebec. Not for this weekend. It would be too far to go for a weekend because you'd spend, you know, a day getting there and a day getting back and then one day in. That's, yeah, it's just not worth it. So we're looking at some options. And of course, you want to look at cost. Because we were thinking about doing that over the summer, later in the summer, when we were just both sitting here just going, you know, this just, we need to go somewhere. We need to 
get out of these four walls. And so we did the Blue Jays game back in August. Well, maybe we'll be able to find something to do because we're into September. We're out of the vacation season. October, excuse me, or Rocktober. Heard John Wolford. And if you're wondering who John is, I spoke of him briefly in a recent episode. John is the president and owner of Jam Productions in Dallas, the people who make the jingles for the Jim Snyder podcast. Well, John was talking about a client that he had out of Australia who claims to have coined the phrase Rocktober. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks who will claim Rocktober. I'm sure there's a lot of radio consultants in the U.S. and Canada, probably more than one, say, no, I came up with Rocktober. So whatever. Anyway, it is Rocktober. And obviously, there are not as many people traveling because the kids are back in school. People don't travel as much. They're still traveling. I remember back in the day, and you probably do too, when it came to Labor Day and afterwards until Christmas, nobody went on vacation. Everybody was back in school, back at work. Nobody traveled. That's not the case anymore, especially when you have little kids. We have some people that we know that have little kids And they're going on a cruise here in about a week. But the kids are small enough that they can get away with missing a week's worth of school. Now, I wouldn't do that. You know, once once you're into school, that's it. You, You don't take time off to go on vacation. But that's not how some people play it. And honestly, some people do it because they want to give their kids the experience. And it's a cheaper time of year to go. And you know what? You can't really argue with that. And I'm not going to tell anybody how to spend their money, how to live their life. It's just not how I would do it. And my wife's parents and my parents, absolutely not. Go on vacation when school's in session? Uh-uh. Wasn't even, you didn't even think about that. Now, sometimes you missed because if, you know, a death in the family or what have you, something very special but normally you didn't miss school. So anyway, we're into Rocktober and we're thinking about going away. I don't know what we're going to do. If we end up doing something, I'll let you know. And whatever we end up doing, I'm sure it'll be nice, but we're just going to take a weekend, a long weekend, and just kind of relax and have some fun. Well, joining me now from his palatial studios high atop the McDonald Building in downtown London, overlooking the countryside from his uh, Attila the Hun chair, pleased to welcome to the program, afternoon host. I, I don't know what else we can we can how I can put this guy except that he is just just an incredible talent. Afternoon host of Kelly and Company and the star of AMI, Kelly McDonald. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. And this chair certainly is attacking. It's like it's like uh, four or five years uh, from my uh, sitting on it. So now it's that that kind of flattening out to where my back is saying, "Can we get a new chair, please?" <laughs> before before you can no longer move. Uh, and I love it because here in the palatial palace of of studio, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, the studio studio in the a. clouds, studio yeah. in the clouds. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. As we talk, and it goes all the way to Toronto through AMI main campus and back out and beyond, and as the podcast, it's a wonder that you don't have this huge delay with me talking. No, this is actually this is actually really cool. I mean, we were going to try to get the satellite hookup, but but they wouldn't let us do it. So, but yeah, something gets booked. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I am glad to have you on the program, and uh, of course. A lot of folks in Canada, especially in the blind and visually impaired community, know who you are because of of AMI. But uh, for those who don't know, obviously a lot of folks in the States listen. What is AMI? Accessible Media Inc. Uh, was was formed just over 30 years ago. Um, and and we, we had a different name at the time. We were a reading service, and most people in the States know about their their regular reading services in their state to state to state. And we created content, mainly in formats, block format, 
uh, reading shows and volunteers came in. And at that time, when they started out, they actually got a lot of people who now host and TV and radio gigs throughout um, throughout Canada. A lot of the Toronto personalities and a few of the people, uh, you know, like Peter Mansbridge, who uh, was doing the National Appeal, was at one point part of AMI. So there's been different people through the years that came on to sharpen their skills. You also had people who just said, I'd like to read just for, well, I like reading and would volunteer their time. The structure changed uh, late uh, 2009 uh, into 2010, and we became uh, Accessible Media Inc., and then now refer to ourselves more as AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and in Montreal, AMI-Tele. So the three services, which are 911 carriage, as they call them, so we are carried on all the cable network, the uh, cable subscribers, sorry, cable providers, for their subscribers, try saying that, boom, and satellite providers across Canada as a must-carry. So with that being said, our programming on the three services, AMI-Tele, of course, focused on the French community of Canada, AMI-TV, a full-service TV station, AMI-Audio. So my show, Kelly and Company, is on AMI-Audio. My former TV show uh, that I did for a while, uh, Blindsided, was on AMI-TV. So I've been lucky enough, been blessed enough, Jim, to experience all of it. So our mandate is to provide content, tell stories, and keep our, our center core audience in mind, which is the low vision and blind community. However, we are accessible to everyone. We tell everyone stories. And um, really, uh, we're making that shift to make sure that we are, as we're supposed to be, inclusive to everyone, whether they be uh, sighted people, persons in wheelchairs, anyone. And that's what we're all about. It is a good service. And I had the honor of working at one of the reading services in Columbus, Ohio, back in the late 80s. So I got a good education as far as what those services were like personally back in the day when they were still in many ways in their infancy because in mm-hmm. those in those days, at least in the states, the way you got a reading service was you would get a subcarrier receiver that was that's right tuned to one of the local stations. And in the case of the Central Ohio Radio Reading Service, that it is was known at the time, it was through a subcarrier of WOSU, and then all the cable companies picked it up back in the days of when there was cable FM. Remember cable FM? I'm sure you that's do. Right. Well, well, and the Muzak was sent that way, too, to McDonald's or wherever else was on those subcarriers, too, I believe. Yes, it was. And I actually uh, knew one of the stations or was, was friends with people where they actually provided that service. And it was, it was really kind of neat because at the time, the radio station itself was completely automated. And it had a, the, the guy that owned this this uh, radio station was a guy by the name of John Hillebrand, and he had this massive automation system that he built from scratch. This wasn't like something he went to Allied Harris or one of the big companies. He built this thing. Him and his buddies basically built this thing from scratch, and it took up an entire room. And a little inside baseball, most people that you know think as far as automation – it, it, in the day, a lot of automation consisted of reel-to-reel tapes and what we call carts, cartridge mm-hmm. tapes. And they had, as as you know, Kelly, they had one song on them or a commercial or what have you. This thing was entirely made up of cart tapes, big carousels of cart tapes. And it was all voice tracked, you know, very rude, crude voice tracking. It's like, Here's Madonna with Live to Tell on 92.5. You know, it was just, it wasn't overly personable. It was, but it was, it got ratings and it did well. But one of the things they had in the building was the Muzak system. And so that's where the reel-to-reels got used. Everybody thought you'd walk in, they'd bring tours into this place, and they'd say, oh, here's all the Muzak, uh, or here's the music. (laughs) No, this is just the Muzak system. All the rest of this room is all the radio station. And it was quite to me as a 16-year-old kid at the time, seeing this thing in operation. But yeah, you're right. And um, But that's how the, the radio reading services, a lot of them did. They went on the subcarriers and the same thing that the Muzak systems would that carried you know, the, uh, the music for, like you say, for all the, the shopping malls and the grocery stores and, and what have you. 
But mm-hmm. uh, the reading services really have come a long way thanks to, you know, thanks to the internet technology and with with what you guys are doing at AMI. And well, it's a struggle for a lot of in the U.S. because you're funded in different ways and not as lucky as we are over here. One of the things that throughout the world, um, AMI is noted that the fact that our government stands so so behind us, the CRTC with us being that mandate and having the must carry, uh, we also get supported by the government that way. Now, we were before more of a charity and at that time uh, relied on on support from people such as the volunteers and things like that and the amount of money that the, the government uh, legislated that the cable companies and satellite providers were getting for us, passing it on, and that's how the service operated and still does. So really, we stop and, and try to be very careful be very prudent with what we're doing as well as provide content. But far and away, we're still in a luckier position than a lot of reading services throughout the world who have really done what they've been able to do with volunteers, sweat and, and so on of people with very little funding. Yes. And the, it's almost kind of like what they, what the, the, the foundation for public broadcasting in the U S does for public television and radio stations those guys and what they provide the thing that i remember and it's probably a similar situation in some respects i don't know how much it is now but in the past i remember the local npr radio station would get all this grant money every year and mm-hmm. they would get all this beautiful equipment because they'd have to spend the money or they'd lose it that's and, right and, and, they, and the list was huge yeah they would and i remember i had friends who would who were engineers at this place and they say we're tossing out you know, $750 cartridge machines. Well, why? Well, we got new ones. Well, why don't you just get rid of them? We can't. Nobody wants them. You know, whatever. Or maybe they'd give them to the high school station or whatever. That's what I was just going to say. Or that community broadcast, you know, uh, channel that's operating at some school. Yeah. So in some respects, you've got a good thing going there. And having seen the facility, it's a nice facility. And, And even compared to some commercial broadcasters you've got some good good gear in there and obviously you're going to get the support it's not easy i mean let's face it budgets are tight everywhere across the board but uh let's back up just a little bit where did your love for radio begin and 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 i probably should mention you are you are visually impaired you have some sight but not not too much from what i understand not anymore. I, I mean, even when I, I've never been able to, um, I've always been colorblind and I've always relied a lot on my ears for crossing. I can't see a traffic light change. And I, I started large print in school when I was a kid, but uh, ended up moving into Braille and then computers. Um, the love for radio. I, I used to like just listening to different channels further away. And I think I even then was a little more interested in talk radio than I ever, ever really thought. But then the goal was to get on air as I got interested and be that DJ. My father then got me also interested in old time radio. So I do a lot of DXing around, tuning around, looking and listening and just, oh my goodness, uh, anything. I never really had a, a big interest in TV, but I would catch myself going in, oh, president speaking the prime minister speaking oh getting up to the tv screen and trying to figure out uh, because of course every every network would be covering it and back then on their flashes you would see cbs nbc abc whatever it might be so i would be the kid looking and saying okay that that's the nbc microphone switched over to nbc versus where the camera position was for cbs had no interest but in my mind that was fascinating. Oh, sure. Oh, what are they going to do? And every little facet, facet, you know, anything little, every little facet fascinated me. I, I can't even tell you the weird things that I would ask my parents. And I say, what the heck? I remember getting my dad to go into McDonald's to ask them, where's uh, the music come from? I kind of like all that. Where's it come from? Yeah. And, and because I didn't understand. And that's when I heard about the music. So, I even ran a little radio station at at the blind school when I ended up going to the blind school when I was uh, four, uh, in grade four, uh, about nine years old. I went to the Branford uh, Blind School, W.S. McDonald School, and I had a great old time just playing stuff, playing DJ uh, in the dormitory, and 
incorporating anything that I would see, uh, you know, on TV, radio kind of thing. How can I make this part of my radio station? Go sit there in the uh, next to the hockey rink and do play-by-play for the games, which, in all honesty, Jim, if I could have figured out a way to color commentate, that would have been where I wanted to go first if it was disguised the limit and if this little 11-year-old could just say, I want to do this, okay? So make what, it happen. what kind of things did you find when you're – now, back in the day – when you could DX at night, because let's let, let's face it, doing mm. that at night on AM radio has really changed simply for, oh, uh, for a few heaven. reasons. Number one, everybody's yeah. carrying the same thing anymore. And also, you don't have the big clear channel stations like what you used to because of the, the rule changes with the FCC and the CRTC. It used to be, for example, in Toronto, everybody on 1050 would have to shut off at sunset across North America except for chum. Yep. But not yep. anymore. No. Not no. anymore. The, the power stays reduced now. Do you remember I remember going to radio stations. I remember going to CFPL Radio in London when I was a kid and uh, in the afternoon I'd go visit Jim Weir, uh whose brother used to play for uh Montreal, Glenn Weir in the CFL up here. Anyway, I'd go visit with Jim and um he would talk to me and I remember one day I was in there and it was about 5:25 And all of a sudden, the buzzer went off. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, it's the pattern change. And I started to learn more about the reduced power, how some stations had to to have it. Some, uh, you know, kept their signal at full. So back then, I used to listen to a lot of stations chasing old-time radio shows. So WCAU out of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um, I would listen to LS playing music. Uh, Mutual CFL. Do you remember that one? Uh, I want to say, I think they were 1000, they were radio 1000. It was, well, they were, yeah. WCFL was owned by the, by the Chicago labor union. And they would always, you know, when they were back in the days of top 40, they would always, you know, it's like, Hey, good afternoon. It's two o'clock. I'm Jim Snyder on the voice of labor. And they would have the jingle WCFL. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought that was really cool. And then they, when they changed, when they changed to beautiful music, an AM beautiful music station. I mean, mm-hmm. who would have thought? But in mm-hmm. 1976, they were they were getting just they were getting their butts kicked, and they decided we're going to go beautiful music. Well, the last show was Larry Lujak. He was the last jock to play music on then WCFL as far as rock and roll, and he did this little thing where he said, "Okay, at five o'clock, this is what's going to happen. We're going to play Ocean Sounds for two hours," and he said, "In." in I'll never forget this. He gets on the air and he plays the last song, Life is a Rock and Radio Rolled Me by Reunion. And you hear the legal ID. It was like WCFL Chicago. And Larry gets on and you hear the ocean and he says, it's five o'clock at the voice of labor. And then this pause and he says, get your clothes off and get in the tub. Because he had, <laughs> he had told, I should, I should, I kind of blew it. I should have said what he did during his final address. He said, okay, we're changing to beautiful music. So what you want to do is take off all your clothes, get in your tub, pretend that you're on the beach with Mont, you know, with someone you love in Montego Bay. And so then, you know, you, you, you play the last song, the ID, it's five o'clock at the voice of labor. And then you, you know, the ocean, he lets it go for a couple seconds and he says, get your clothes off and get in the tub. And that's the end of the rock and roll on CFL. But yes, yeah, that was that was a big station. Now they're all sports. Huge. Hu- yeah. yeah. Big, yeah. big signal. Yeah. L- you know, LS is the well, same and- way. That was one that, that really exactly. inspired me. I loved WLS as a music station. And to listen to a lot of stuff from them that's been archived and air-checked and so forth. And I have friends who know some people there that work there. And it was a great radio station. It just sounded bigger than life. Same, it really did. And, same with CKLW. Were, yep, I was going to say CKLW, of course. But I also did a lot of listening to the talk news stations. I found because we didn't have them here in London, uh, where I am, and and you know Toronto at that point when I first listened to them did not have 680 or to whatever. It was still rock and city. roll. It was CFTR. You bet. Top 40 and London here had two top 40 stations. So I found it interesting to listen to WWJ out of Detroit or, or the WCBS and, and the way, it, and the way it was. And of course, CAU, like I, or sorry, um, out of Philly, uh, KYW, uh, 
KYW, excuse, excuse me, couldn't get it for a yeah. moment. And I thought it was great. Oh, what's that? You could hear the teletype machine in the background, the sound effect that they would run. I thought as a kid, that was amazing. And then when it came to music, what blew my mind as a kid into the 80s, I had to be that guy to get my hands on an AM stereo system. Somehow. Same here. I was fascinated by AM stereo in any way that I could listen to it, whether it was in somebody's car or 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 a little, you know, any unit that would play it. So I, I was that boy that wanted that. And, of course, as TV got into the stereo phase as well, had to buy the device that allowed me to run it to my stereo system and get the output in stereo before ever going out and buying a full television. I have a good AM stereo story for you. Uh, okay. I bought one of the one of the AM stereo tuners that Radio Shack sold. I don't know how much they were, maybe 60, 80, 100 bucks or something like that. I don't yeah. remember, but you, I, I'm sure they had they those. They were here. little, right? They, yeah, it was. They it, the, the, and you had like two speakers. Like you know, this speakers, was obviously. this was a tuner. Was it pretty big? This okay. was a, this yeah. was a small tuner. I don't know how under, I don't know how big it was, but it had had a power button. You could go back and forth between stereo and mono, and it stereo had a tuning knob. Yeah. But what it did, what I did is I would listen. You know, listen to obviously there's only two stations where I lived at the time where I could get in stereo. That was. WJR out of Detroit in the local station, WSPD. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, I remember one spring, and they always ran the Indianapolis 500. And I remember listening to that one afternoon, and I had the headphones on, listening to the Indy 500, and you could hear the cars going across the speakers from left to right, going across the speakers. Well, I fell asleep listening to the race. And I had this dream that I'm standing on the side of a road and the cars are going oh. by. <laughs> and I wake up and I'm like, well, that's where that came from. Yeah. But well, you, you, could, you, could the, listen, you could listen like to stations like JR and even like on a yes. Saturday night, they would... They and JR would, sounded good as mono even. Well, JR sounded great as mono because he had yeah. Ed Buterbon, who was one of the best engineers who ever lived. He was the one that was responsible for giving CKLW the the incredible sound that they had. They had a 1940s Crosley transmitter that in those days when it was built, nobody ever dreamed of the high fidelity of top 40 music, but no. Ed Buterbon knew how to get that station, knew how to get that station to sound like a million bucks. And he would, he also wired CKLW up so that you could hear it in the tunnel going from Detroit oh to Windsor. He, he had that wow. wired up. And then eventually when he went over to to JR, he got them. He had WJR wired up, so it was the only radio station you could hear in the tunnel between Detroit and Windsor. But he was such a good engineer. He would they would do broadcasts of the Detroit Symphony on Saturday nights, and I'll tell you what it rivaled what was on. FM, as far as sound, it was wide, yeah. it was deep, it had as much fidelity as you could get out of that signal with an amplitude modulation signal, but it sounded exactly. it sounded incredible. Yeah, and it, it took somebody with that genius to be able to do that, to recognize. And, and you know, that was the thing, as the AM stereo came, taking advantage of a station like um, WJR because there was so much possibility, even down to voices, your 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 sound, whether your bass, your treble, everything was so wonderful, and it, it's obvious it, it it was a standout sound at the time for sure. So when you you're listening to these stations, you're listening to the to the to the different stations, and that I guess what what kind of things did you see yourself like? Okay. I want to do this because I would listen to radio at night. I would listen to, I would DX FM, I would DX AM, and I'd listen to these top 40 stations, and I would just like, I could see myself working at LS, at a station oh, like yeah. LS. I could oh, see yeah. myself working at, at the old WHYT in, in Detroit or yep. Yep. or Z95.5 at the time or Q95 mm. and, and all those. What kind of What kind of places or what kind of things did you begin to, dreams did you begin to develop at that point is you're going around listening to all these stations. 
Well, I was an oldies fan too, so I loved WMC out of Detroit, Magic out of Cleveland. So I, for me, wanted to talk to people on the phone, wanted to do contests, wanted to be that person to hit the post, uh, as we call it, when a song came on and doing those mixes. I, I was absolutely destroyed when so many stations went to between songs, just run a station ID. To me, it was, no, no, had to be about the mix and finding those really cool things that you could do with a mix, not being necessarily backbeats and stuff like people do today, just a proper mix of a song phasing from one to the other so right off the bat it was either color commentator for sports particularly baseball um talking on the air as a dj but i always was pulled by the talk stations it's so funny when i think about it now again i knew i wasn't a strong enough braille reader or anything like that to to do news stations i just love the whole idea of the format i love the way I think I really studied formats. I loved when inversion happened and I could listen to stations on FM that I normally couldn't. You know, my parents would say, we've got to go out. We're going shopping or we've got to do this and that. Come on, get ready. And I was practically in tears. There's inversion. There's, you know, they had no idea what I was talking about. I said, oh, I'm getting the stations in from Detroit today. Oh, and he'd swear they'd pat me on the head. That's that's Good, nice. Son. That's that's nice. Then get 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 your butt in the car. <laughs> yeah, let's go. And uh, well, can I sit in the front because I want to play with? The, can I stay in the car at the grocery store? Well, if nobody steals you, so it was kind of that fun of radio that I really really enjoyed. So when I was in um, I was in the blind school in high school, I went to one of the broadcast uh, colleges, and I wanted to know from the coordinator what I needed. That coordinator really didn't have the vision. And later on, I I would get to know him very well when I was one of the students. But at first his view was, well, I know radio is an auditory medium, but it's very visual to work it. There's so many visual aspects. He didn't have the vision as he spoke to the blind person about being in radio. So I kind of let that sidetrack me for a bit, but happy to say that I, I did finally get into the college, take the broadcast course. And the thing, Jim, that I had trouble with at this time in the mid-90s was accessibility to do uh, editing software. So Pro Tools and Saw were the big ones that we were using at the college. Couldn't do it. So in my second year, I actually did a make-work project, some would say, but really it was a big project investigating the inaccessibility of these programs and the problem with that. And this was this was cleared off by the coordinator and the head of, of the um, – program um the thought was i would never you know leave the school and compete with anyone for any kind of production editing or anything like that job well fast forward four years after leaving school my first production job (laughs) was was at uh voiceprint at the time or now ami as i as i started i was a a studio technician recording the, the volunteers that i was speaking of before and i started that gig five days before 9 11 well, so on 9-11, I had my first real experience because we at the time did no live programming at AMI, and we decided we needed to get the message out to our listeners that this was happening. These these planes have hit the towers, so we had to quickly record. Well, I'm five days in on the job. Kelly, record this, this volunteer. This person gets in the studio, records a message that had been put together for our listeners. I go to save it. Now, I had been learning all of the different conventions of file names for saving and i saved it i manager come over okay kelly we need that file let's get it up and on the air because we're trying to be like everyone else get it on the air get the message out there okay well what's the file name hmm good question Hmm. yeah what's the file name well better find it yeah yeah, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, does this mean, you know, especially being a blind person who's never held down this kind of full-time job before, and we know that a lot of us get a, a start in things off, you know, later than, than the average person, and I just wondered, oh, I wonder if my fifth day here is my last day here. <laughs> um, fast forward 20 years, no, they, they haven't figured they, that out they, yet. Or, they haven't or fired you yet. <laughs> no, they found some reason to keep me hanging around. All right, multiple reasons. You make a good cup of coffee something or they're getting paid well on the side. Maybe there's extra money. I don't know. But, but, you know, it was one of those experiences, Jim, and you and I know they're the ones to learn the most from. Oh, yeah. And they're good you, for you. You can learn from some of the biggest mistakes you make in your life. 
And, and, and yeah, and they're good and they're, they're, they're good learning experiences. And if you're fortunate that you have somebody that's patient, I was fortunate that I had a high school instructor who was like, get your butt over here. You can do this. I don't see any reason why you can't. Uh, I remember another, one of the, the guys that gave me one of my first big breaks. He, I remember talking to him about my vision impairment and he says, Jim, I worked in Saginaw, Michigan and my general manager was totally blind. You can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was very fortunate that I had some people who. Who got it. Who got it. And uh, later on, I and, and it was the most profound thing I ever heard was, and this is much later into my career, and I had been doing this for a while, and I was coming back to Ohio from Wyoming, and I had called a buddy of mine who I worked with, and I said, hey, Bob, can you, do you know of anything going on where you're at? And he says, no, but I'll talk to my program director and I'll get back with me in about a week. So I called him and he says, yeah, Bill wants to talk to you. So I sent over a package and then I eventually got a phone call from him. And I said, you do uh, know that I am visually impaired. And he says, I don't hear that on your tape. You sound fine. <laughs> and it was so profound. And, yeah. and and we have since become very, very good friends. And and he said, You you have more vision. And he made the comment, mm -hmm. he says, You have more vision than a sighted person. And that was so profound because it was like he, he knew that I got it and he knew that I understood what was going on. And there had been times, and it happens with a lot of people, whether you have sight or not in the radio business where you run across a program director who is so scared of losing their gig, they're not going to share anything with you. They're, they're not going to help you out with this stuff. So mm -hmm. on top of that, when you have a vision impairment and you're trying to show the rest of the world, you know what, I can do all this stuff except drive the station van. That's right. Just give me a chance. Just give me a chance. Exactly. And when I went to this guy and I started working for him, and I remember – walking through the hall one day and I walked by his office and he says, Hey Jim, come in here for a minute. And I'm like, when the boss says, come into the office, you're like, oh, what did I do now? Uh huh. Who's mad at me now? What, what client That's did right. I tick off? You know, what, what did I do? What song did I, was not supposed to play? Did you catch me playing in Agata de Vida again? You know, whatever. <laughs> 17 minute version. 17 minute. I used to do that. At th <laughs> Seriously. I used to play in Agata de Vida on the classic rock station at three o'clock in the morning, and was that the bathroom break? That was that the bath. That was the Burger King break because I walked <laughs> oh. next door to the Burger King, you know, and go yep. get 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 a Whopper at three in the morning or whatever. And <laughs> you you put that thing on, or or you're sitting, you're talking to some you know chick on the phone or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a disc jockey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like you know, you know like you're some guy. Like I'm I'm a radio guy. Hey, you want to come over and see my microphone? You know, I mean, it's just <laughs> like you think. And this is the big shift, the middle of the night. This is the middle. Of Everybody's the, listening. Everybody sure. is listening. And you know, here's the funny, the ironic thing about working that shift. First off, my program director knew I was doing it because I was one of those guys. I was so afraid of getting in trouble. And I really should have just learned how to relax. But I would ask him. I say, I'd go to him, Kirk. Do you mind if I play the full version of it? I got to be at three in the morning, and he'd be like, I don't care. Go on, yeah. go for it. So I did. It wasn't like, and I never got any. I never got any flack from the general manager or the owner because it was it was like Mama Carlson, the lady who owned the radio station. <laughs> yes, she was a WKRP. yeah. She was a yep. rich aristocrat. Let's be honest. Yep. Her name was Venice Michaels. Lovely, lovely lady. I think she stay may still be on planet Earth at this point, but she was well to do. Her husband, Mike, or, or I'm sorry, Don, who I do know is no longer here. Her husband basically they, they had a friend who ended up being the general manager of the radio station. He he was a GM. He had been in sales and came back to Toledo and he talked Don and Venice Michaels into buying this radio station. And they had made their money in McDonald's restaurants. They had like nice. seven of them. One of them wow. will make you stinking rich anyway. So oh, they yeah. so they were pretty well to do. Like a Sims. Yeah. So they bought they sold one of their McDonald's and they bought the radio station. They bought this radio station to make a long story short. So she was she had no clue how the radio station radio business no. worked 
but God love her. She just meant well. And it was a chance for this general manager basically to do whatever he wanted and try to do it. Uh, you know, he tried to reinvent the wheel, you know, a nice guy, nice people. So I work in the all night shift would play in a God of the Vita at three in the morning and, and these longer records or whatever. And I could get away with breaking format. The, the 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 thing that I found interesting about working that shift at the time, it was like, oh, I just, I want to get on middays or I want to get on afternoons. I want to get off this night shift. Because and, that's what you aspire to, you right? Was, we could sit here and say, yeah, I'm the big radio guy in the middle of the night. In the middle you know, of the with night. With the crickets. Well, yeah, but it was, but the thing about that was you could get away with doing all the fun sure. stuff in the middle of the night because that's management right. wasn't listening. And they didn't care as long as you weren't jeopardizing the license. Exactly. Protect the license. That was the one thing. Protect the license. But you worried, right? You worried about making the mistakes. Do you think that's that typical thing, disabled people, we often will like, yeah, you know, because we appreciate how hard it was to get the opportunity. Did that have something to do with it? Or were you just that kind of guy that I love radio? I don't, I just don't want to mess up something that I've always wanted to do. Well, I think it's a combination of those things because for me, number one, it was kind of like you, you, I was raised to respect authority. Yeah. I was raised that you respect those that are older than you and those you work under. And if they say jump, you say how high. Or you, you know, you, you just, you just learn to respect them. You almost to the point of fear. And I think you're right because you work so bloody hard to get into that position. You don't want to lose it. And it was no. kind of like, don't, well, get- especially when you dream it. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and people in the industry who have been there a while know there's a lot of people coming out of broadcast schools who, who've been told, who've been pumped. Hey, man, you should be on the radio. Who actually, some of them really love it. And, you know, they, they're, I don't want to say a dime a dozen, but the schools keep cranking people out and you walk the line if you're fearful of it, because you know, at some point, all my fun, this thing I really enjoy doing, I get up every day and I never tire of could be taken away. Well, exactly. And you don't want to lose it because you know no. that you worked your tail off to get there. And, yeah. and yeah, you just don't know if you're going to be able to land another gig. So it was always like, whatever you do, don't get fired. And, and, and I've been fired a few times. This, the, the last place that I worked was, was I worked in Roger, I worked for Rogers and it was through no fault of my own. And I found that out later on because you go through, you mm, go through all the, I do? did I do something wrong? Cause I remember yeah. when, when I got called into the office and they said, you know, we're going, the radio station's going one way and you're going another more or less is what happened. And, yeah, and I, yeah. and, and they said, do you have any questions? I'm like, yeah, did I do something wrong? And they're like, no, no, this is a business decision. And you can't prove that because I've been through that too. I was fired at one place because they wanted somebody else and they wanted this other person really bad. And they figured, well, who can we get rid of? Well, let's just get rid of Jim. And I don't know if they just thought that I was going to be the weakest link in the chain because I would be the easiest to get rid of because of being, you know, blind you know, whatever. He's not going to kick up. He's not going to kick. Well, and that was the other thing, because I remember at that situation, I'm not going to mention where it was, but Mm -mm. it was one of those things where I probably could have gotten a lawyer and probably could have gone after him, but I thought, if I do that, I'm blackballed. That's what I was just going to say, and I used to find that when I would speak to different PDs, and I certainly had a run-in at a station in southwestern Ontario where I even got a handshake from the owner, which was basically one finger. And as a big black guy, I don't know if it's because I'm a big guy, a black guy, blind guy. I have no idea. I just know it was that I'd rather not touch you. So what am I going to do? You know, am I going to go after the guy where anyone says, yeah, if that McDonald guy comes around looking for a job, if you say the wrong thing or don't call him back quick enough or or engage him and he thinks something is going to be possible, eh, you could have a lawyer on your doorstep. It's a hard thing, especially, Jim, when you love the industry and would not want to be blackballed. Oh, yeah. And I remember times when I would have, and and I will be honest with you, when when I started working in a in a position where I had some, I guess, some responsibility for the Canadian content mandate. Now, as, as a jock, you know, you don't have that much necessarily because you're obviously, you just, you know that you, you don't drop imports, you leave the Canadian right. content in 
And, and that's where I worked when I worked at the CKPC, because I've only had two right. examples here in Canada. And that's the thing I had to learn, and not to get down another bunny trail. There is radio, and then there is CKPC, because it was such a <laughs> unique radio station yeah. at the time yeah. because of the owner. And I just, the one thing that I, everything was timed out anyway, so I very rarely ever had to drop a record. So I didn't really worry about Canadian content. But when I got to Rogers, and I'm working as an operations assistant, working in the music department for for two radio stations, one, the number one station in town, in Kitchener, in, in, in the in the Tri-Cities. Our general mm-hmm. manager, by the way, hated that term. He, he I remember saying Tri-Cities on the air once, and my program director came in and she said, don't do it again. And she was nice about yeah. it. She says, you know, manager doesn't like that. And she explained why. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, but incidentally, I mean, and I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm not saying this, you know, just because... Um, uh, it's true. These were some of the best people I ever worked for as far as how they treated me. But anyway, uh, when I got to the point where I was doing having to worry about Canadian content because I'm helping to generate music lists and playlists and pick music and knowing the content, you know, the Canadian Mm -hmm. content mandates. Yep. And what qualified as it because you had to figure that out too. Well, you didn't know uh, to do what you were doing. Well, you did. To an extent, the only thing I had to worry about was percentages and scheduling yeah, music. Could you guys would program what thirty eight percent just so you were over in case? Chime was thirty five percent. Country was mm-hmm. forty. So Rogers had at the time a mandate: you had to stay at or one percent above. You couldn't go under. You didn't dare no. go okay. under. Go under. No. Yeah. No. So that was the real juggling act because you couldn't go too far over because then you would get something from corporate saying, hey, you're playing too much Canadian content. So you had to be really careful about that. Well, the yeah. one thing that, you know, it was just, it was really tough and you you had to, to just be really careful about and watch what you're doing. And with the software, with the music scheduling software, it helped you do that. So in many ways, it wasn't hard. You just had to make sure that you just kept your, your you stepped within within the mandate. But the the I remember one time, uh, I was working, I was covering for both music directors. The music director for, for 106 and the music director for Chime were both on vacation at the same time. So I'm kind of taking care of both stations. I'm not scheduling music all the time. I was doing mostly country. Chime was pretty much buttoned up. The The music director yeah. had pretty much done it all, worked ahead. All I had to do was basically maintain and keep us, you know, as they say, between the ditches. Well... I walked into my boss's office. I walked. I walked in. It was Don Collins who went on to re, to be the program director at the Fan, and he is now working for for Twitch in, right. in San Francisco. Wow. Don and I are still Isn't that amazing. Don and I are still really good friends. He actually worked for the game in San Francisco for a while. But you know, Don and I are still good friends. We still keep in touch, and I have a lot of respect for the guy. But I remember walking into his office the first day that I'm handling two radio stations and i said okay i just want to make sure i understand something here if at some point i miss when it comes to canadian content go under mandate and we get busted i lose my job the music director for country loses his job the music director for chime loses his job the program director for Chime loses their job. You lose your job. I lose my job. And none of us crack the mic in this country ever again. And he looks at me and he says, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, okay, just wanted to make sure I got it. And I walked out. Yeah, I think people don't realize the seriousness of it, right? And especially because of, you know, it's a law that's, that, that's there by the CRTC, the mandate, because it is such a struggle. Artists say that we know we have to protect our own and, and, and be careful of the encroachment because it's such an easy thing to say, oh, well, let's just let that, that some of that other music in here. And again, what are you saying basically about the Canadian stuff? Well, you, you know, know and you can't say that. You can't. For, for those who don't know the history here, you, you do know kind of how it all came to be with the Canadian content, with the Trudeau administration that they they wanted to protect the content because you had stations like CKLW in Windsor that were playing mm-hmm. a lot of American music. They were even, at the one point, owned by RKO General, an American company, 
And the CRTC put a stop to that, and they had to sell it. And people thought they were Detroit, right? Yeah. That was the image you sent, just like filming in Toronto, pretending it's New York. Right, because they – well, the thing was is that CKLW knew where the money was. It was coming from Detroit. And, yeah, some from Windsor, and maybe a little bit from Cleveland and Toledo. That that whole station is another story for another day because of how dominant it was. It was the third most listened-to radio station at one time in the world. That's how yeah. how massive yeah. it was. It was number one in Detroit. It was number one in Toledo. It was number one in Cleveland, and and maybe what even was it, a few forty eight states. It hit. It is hit thirty eight thirty eight states. Thirty eight states. Forty eight. Something crazy. Thirty eight states at night, and like I don't know how many provinces it hit, but it had yeah. a monster signal. But it was just it. Was, and I'm and I remember as a kid in the mid seventies, early to mid seventies, everybody played that station. But mm-hmm. but the thing was is that they were they were playing a lot of American music, but they were a Canadian radio station. And most of us didn't really even realize that it was a Canadian radio station. It was, well, CKLW. Well, that's just the name of it, CKLW. And that's what it was. So the Trudeau government decides we need to protect our content. And so they did. And they were so fortunate, the folks at CKLW, they had a music director there by the name of Rosalie Trombley, who understood how to pick music and, and and when i mean pick music understood a good record from a bad record and she would bring people in like the guess who and other artists along those lines and copper penny and 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 all these the other stampeders stampeders was, was so tremendous and lighthouse and andy kim yeah andy mm-hmm. kim and uh, edward bear and all the rest i mean she's not solely responsible but she picked some of those I think the Guess Who really owe their career to Rosalie Trombley. I, I may be a little bit off base on that, but everything that I've heard. And so anyway, they that's why Canadian content came to be because they want to protect the Canadian artist. And I understand, but the thing that it created was that at the time, it was it was somewhat useful, but anymore, it's really not because you have so much music that's out there now you don't need a radio anymore to listen to it. And you have radio stations that are playing music, in some cases, some of it, that their audience really doesn't know and really doesn't like or, or care about, but they've got to play it anyway. Because that was the struggle that we had, with, mm-hmm. especially with country, was that, and I spent a lot of time, a lot more time working on, in the music department of country than I did at Chime. Because Chime was a well-oiled machine, and had been there for a long time. Wendy Duff, who was the program director and is back there again, understood that station, understood the heritage, and and a, and a and a music director like Neil Beaumont, who both understood that station, understood the format. There was really nothing. They knew what they were doing. They had a, a lot more stuff to pick from, whereas with country, you had to go digging at times. And then you would get this influx of artists that would come to the radio station and saying, we want our stuff on. And we'd have to say, we don't have the inventory for you. We don't have the room. The Canadian stuff was really incredibly lacking in its own way because there wasn't the same opportunities given, especially as early as as the pop artists seemed to have in the 60s going on. And, And like you say, when the ruling came down, country was still left out there. People still were Nashville, Nashville. Yeah, exactly. A lot of it was coming was was coming out of Nashville and you had more regional artists like Paul Brandt, who is yeah. big out in Alberta. And you had mm-hmm. guys like Johnny Reed, who is big here in Ontario and, and some other places, but the guy's Scottish. I mean, yep. who would have yep. who would have thought that a Scotsman would would, you know, would do would be would, so, would heavy be so in that sense and appreciated yeah. that oh, way yeah. and, and be able to qualify. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm not gonna I'm not knocking on him. He's a great guy. Well, I had a chance to meet him. Wonderful guy. I'm and, in one of his videos. Oh, were you in one of his videos? Yeah, I shot a video with them one day. Uh, one of the gigs I, I answered as, as, uh, as someone into theater and had an opportunity to be in one of the uh, music videos who, who at that did very well, so people can see the big man in it. All right, well, there's part one of our conversation, my conversation with Kelly McDonald, the afternoon host, co-host of Kelly & Company, heard on AMI all across Canada, and... Yeah, it was it was a, a lot of fun as you heard. 
I enjoyed it, and I think you'll enjoy the second part of our uh, conversation. We're gonna we're gonna get into that next time. So make sure you are gonna be here for that because you won't want to miss out. Well, I have to tell you, you might have noticed my voice probably sounds just a little bit hoarse. Well, recently I was yelling into a uh, into a colander. Well, I strained my voice. Well, if you have a pun that you would like to share with me and everybody else, I would love to hear from you. The Jim Snyder Podcast at gmail.com. The Jim Snedder Podcast at gmail.com. That's how you can get in touch with me with your puns and ideas and suggestions for the podcast, ideas for guests. I'm always looking for different guests to bring on. And yeah, I've got some more folks lined up, but you never can have enough. If you know someone that has a compelling story that you'd like to, you know, to toot their horn, you know, where they can get on and they can kind of blow their own horn like that. <laughs> I'd love to have them on the podcast and I've had a few people suggest and I've actually going to get some other folks lined up and I would like to hear from you as well. All righty. Well, that is going to wrap it up. I do hope you will join me again next time. Going to have part two of my conversation with Kelly McDonald from Accessible Media Inc. It'll be a good one. I promise you that. Well, until next time, until we meet again, this is Jim Snyder reminding you, it's not what happens to you in life that's important. It's how you respond that really counts. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.